You are listening to weekly messages from Austin Christian Fellowship. For more information about ACF, visit acfellowship.org. Morning, church. How are we doing? Good? We good? That, that cloud cover, we're praising the living God for the cloud cover. Uh, it's so good to see y'all again. Uh, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, my name is Kenton. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, you've had a, a roulette of pastors teaching you this summer. Don't worry, your senior pastor will be back rearing to go here in about two and a half weeks or something like that. So he's, he's chomping at the bit. Um, but you got me today, so you're welcome. All right. So this is our second week. This is our second week of our series on why the church is worthy of your participation. Why the church is worthy of you checking in, of you being here, of you being a part of its body, of its body. And I pray that last week that your curiosity was piqued for the church, right? Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that message, Emily laid a foundation for us. Uh, she laid a foundation for us is that as we talk about the church, we're going to just be building on that foundation that the church, while we so often think about it for us, is actually for Jesus. It is for Jesus. Okay, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, or if you want a distraction-free morning, or if you want another Bible for your car, go ahead and raise your hand. The Bibles will be handed out. Uh, we do have Spanish Bibles. If you need a Bible written in Spanish, you can let the people know that. Our family members slinging Bibles around. It's helpful. Uh, to have the word in front of you. So as I get to preach, I'm just slowly introducing you to me. Uh, the last time I was here, I did a painting. You can only do that once before you're that guy, so that was, the, that was kind of a one-off. Uh, but I told you that I love story. I love narrative story. And the Bible that we have, the scripture that we have, is one of the greatest, is the greatest story ever told. It is the greatest story ever told. But I'm going to, again, slowly introduce you to me. I also, I also like to call myself a runner. Sometimes. Sometimes. And I will explain that, but first let me pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, we invite you into this space please do what you want to do. God, do what you want to do. God, use my personality, my gifts, my words to encourage our church family. God, to encourage our church family to receive their identity as your church, as your body. God, as your followers, disciples. Please cut away what's not you, and I pray that those who have ears would, would hear let them hear what encourages them to abundant life. Please, God. Welling up to abundant life. God, we so love this family that you've blessed us with, and we set aside this time for you. Amen? Amen. Okay, so running. I have a brother-in-law, Emily's sister, Sarah, uh, married a, a man named David. He is one of my favorite people in the world. He's also a really great hype man for hobbies. 
And so I, before I really knew David, I didn't have a ton of hobbies. I kind of like dabbled in reading. Uh, so we kind of would share books back and forth. But he, at one point in his life, got really into long distance running. And so he, of course, hyped that up to me. And I, unfortunately, I bought in. I bought in. Um, granted, it wasn't difficult because I typically say yes to things before doing research. Uh, and if it has a friend involved, I'm there, truly. Like, if a friend is saying, come on, I'm like, all right, what are we doing? So David said, hey, you should do this. And that is how I found myself training for a 50-kilometer half, or sorry, 50-kilometer ultramarathon without ever having run a marathon. Some of y'all are like, you're, you're an idiot. And, uh, and I, I firmly agree. I firmly agree with you. Uh, don't, like, don't get too excited. I didn't, like, win the thing or whatever. I ran it, like, six and a half hours. I walked about, like, the last 10 miles. It's just, don't get too excited. But something I learned in the process of training is that there is a, there's a distinct connection, correlation between identity and habits. And a lot of, a lot of languages out there these days, I feel like everybody has a new book or a new app on habits, right? Tracking how much water you drink, whatever. Um, but it's the same thing as who I am dictates what I do. And so when I set out to be a runner to, with the goal of running this stupid ultra marathon, I had to convince myself that I was in fact a runner. I had to take on the identity of runner. And so, unfortunately, what did I have to do? I had to, like, go out and run, right? I had to go out and run. I had to start somewhere, and slowly running outside was the best place to start. And so as I began my process, I had to slowly build my life around this new hobby that I had. It was all-encompassing, which unfortunately meant I had to eat better. I couldn't just eat Raising Cane's chicken fingers every day. My heart breaks at that, but I couldn't. I had to eat better. I had to wake up at the, sun, the same dumb times that all the other runners wake up at because in the Texas heat, you burst into flames. And then I had to do other exercises. That's dumb. Like I had to like do strength work so that my IT band wouldn't fall out of my leg. Like I had to do things to, per, to help support this thing that I was doing, I had to build my life around being a runner. And after many successful and very unsuccessful runs, long runs, whatever you want to call it, I eventually became the type of person, I eventually became the type of person that could run a 50-kilometer ultramarathon really, really slowly. So, church, there's a sequence, there's a sequence of training that who I decided to be affected what I did. And so with marathon training, I honestly wish, I just wish I could have just read the book, right? Like, just read the book Born to Run, and I'm like, yeah, I'm born to run. Or I could have just watched a Netflix documentary, of which there are several, or it could have just 
you know, gotten the right shoes. Also, ridiculous amount of shoes in the world. And then I could have just, you know, I did all that stuff, and then I could just knock that thing out four hours, got in the middle, take the picture, celebrate, hoorah. Unfortunately, that's not how transformation works. See, information cannot lead to transformation alone. It can't. It's never designed to. And family, before I distract you with a funny story of my failed marathon training, I'm absolutely talking about us and our relationship with the church. See, if the church family is for Christ, which Emily so eloquently shared last week, then our identity as Christians or little Christs or in the language of Jesus, his followers, apprentices, disciples, his body, his friends, this identity must inform for us a way of life. This identity as his church must inform for us a way of life and who we eventually become. And who we eventually become. So to get our head and our heart around the identity in Christ that we have, we must first have a clear picture of the invitation. We have to have a clear picture of the invitation that he has gently slid across the table to us. And so to get that invitation, I want us to look in Scripture. So go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at an encounter between Jesus and a wealthy man. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, who interviewed Peter, a firsthand witness of Jesus, Nazareth, walked his life with him, one of his friends, one of his followers, And so we're going to go to chapter 10. It's up there. So we're going to go Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read to 22. You all just stay with me. It's a beautiful story. And I want to invite you into it. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you still lack. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So let's look at this with a little bit of a greater lens. 
I like stories, so we're going to get into the story of this. Firstly, in ancient Israel, men don't run. I want you all to get that first and foremost. Men don't run, because what that means, I mean, people don't run, but that would mean you have to hike up your robes, show your knobbly little knees, and like jet on, and that, to them, was shameful. It was a shameful act. But this man thinks this question of eternal life is important enough to bear the shame. This good rabbi that he calls is worth it. Jesus, who is always personal, is picking up on what this man is on the edge of understanding. He's on the edge of understanding exactly who Jesus is. He calls him good teacher. And Jesus responds, okay, why do you say that? Only God is good. And then we can just gently hear, hey, you might be on to something. If only God is good and you're calling me good, you might be getting there. You might just be getting there. And Jesus, to that response, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is the answer probably the man was expecting. The reinforcement of the Ten Commandments, which for someone and pretty much all of us growing up would have had stamped on their brains. It's the baseline morality for the people of God. To be a, to be a participant in the people of God, this is baseline. This is baseline. And that's his response. And he says, I've kept all these things yeah, I haven't murdered anybody. That's pretty good. Yeah, I haven't lied. I've obeyed my father and mother. And Jesus, I want you to see, he loves this man. He doesn't immediately dismiss out of hand his religious obedience. He loves this man. He spent the entire Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and seven, digging into the commands, saying that none of them will pass away. But he went deeper. He went deeper on these commands, a deeper spin on the commands of God's kingdom. Don't you remember? Hey, you may not murder, that's awesome. But if you have anger in your heart, you've committed the same sin. If your heart is wicked, you committed the same sin. Who cares if you don't kill anybody? So Jesus cares about God's command. So I don't want you to get that. And he cares about God's kingdom. And this man doesn't miss a beat. He's kept all of them since he was a boy. If you follow the rules, you're really good at telling people you follow the rules. Right? Right? But I want you to see something. Our friend here, he's already realized that baseline morality does not lead to eternal life. He's already realized there's something missing with his eternal life. There's something not there. The river of living water is not flowing in him. Can I ask you, have you realized this? As a participant in church, 
Have you realized that going through motions, sitting, Sunday services, giving our 10%, doing all of those things by themselves, that they don't lead to abundant life? Have you realized that? This checklist of being a better person than your neighbor, which is, if we're all gonna be honest, it's pretty easy these days. It's pretty easy not to, hey, I don't get angry at this. I'm better than Schmo over here, right? It isn't enough. And this realization is right where Jesus wants you. And this realization right where Jesus wants you, just imagine in this moment, realizing that, okay, all these things I've done don't add up. And Jesus steps into this moment and he says, hey, I love you. Hey, I love you. And love to Jesus is not like for us, like, like I love raising canes. Love for Jesus is, I love you. I sacrifice myself for you. And hey, I like you. I like being with you. I like spending time with you. I like you as my church, as my body. I love you. Face open, heart full of care and grace for us as we seek the answer that we are all desperately searching for. And Jesus graciously says to this man, hey, there's something missing, one thing you lack from all your obedience and your religious practices, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have. Give it away to those who don't have anything. And then your treasure will be in heaven. Your treasure is here, but I'm inviting you to put it in heaven. Jesus is so consistent. He said the word treasure so many times. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths can't destroy or thieves can't steal. He says, I want you to stop caring about the treasure that you can see and start caring about the treasures that exist with my Father God in his space. Because that's the good stuff, remember? Only God is good. And then comes his invitation to this man. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. You can almost hear Jesus saying, hey, this is it. Young man, your identity, your treasure, all that your heart has claimed has been found in this thing and it hasn't been giving you life, has it? You know what will? I will. You want eternal life? You want the rivers of living water? 
I'll give them to you. I'll give them to you. Just become my follower. Just partner with me. Be my disciple, a member of my church, my body. And then you'll see what this life thing is all about. And it's not about proximity to doing the right things or the checklist on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. It's about nearness. It's about connection to Jesus. Remember, the church is for Jesus. Disciples are for Jesus, and he is where life is found, adventures found, good things are found. But the man walks away. He misses out. He foregoes the question that he originally asked because he has great wealth. Because he thinks this thing is worth more than this invitation. It's worth more than this invitation. What was in the way stayed there for this man? What was in the way of his participation stayed there. He was unwilling to surrender. He was unwilling to take on the new identity. He was unwilling to surrender and say, okay, I've been known as a wealthy, obedient man my entire life. I like that title. I'm going to keep it. He was unwilling to let that go. What are you unwilling to let go? What identity are you unwilling to let go of for fear of what comes next? The gentle invitation to follow Jesus is about surrendering our identity. Give up our treasure on earth for something greater in God's kingdom in the here and now. In the here and now, through his body, the church. Church, what will your response be? What will your response be? I'm gonna invite our worship team up here because we're gonna go into a time of response. But before you hear me say, sell all you have, (laughs) before you hear me say that, acknowledge that this was a statement to one man in one scenario. But let me remind you that also, Jesus wasn't after this man's treasure. You know what he was after? His heart. He was after his heart, because where his treasure is, there his heart is also, right? And so I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for God to do something in here this morning. I'm gonna explain what's next after that, but I need to invite Jesus into this. Jesus, would you show up for us? With this invitation, God, for each and every one of these men and women in here, would you show up and invite them to come and follow you? Jesus, I know you aren't content with our mixed up identities, being found in lifeless activities. 
I pray that you would look upon us with love and ask us to trade our treasures out for things that last in your kingdom. God, I pray for surrender this morning. So our team is gonna lead us through a song of Jesus' worth. And you received a rock on the way in. I'm nothing if not uh, a visual person. And so before you throw them at me, um, it's a symbol. And if you didn't receive one on the way in, we have some in the back for you. But I want to invite you to consider your identity, where your heart is, where your treasures are. And if it's not Jesus, I'm praying that you consider surrendering those things. Surrendering them to God's kingdom. If you've traded out the most important things for the unimportant, oh gosh, I pray that our lives would be firmly founded in identities with Jesus. And so no matter where you are in this process, if it's, I don't know about Jesus or I'm following him, but I've kind of strayed a little bit or you, you can feel your treasures be spent other places week to week, or maybe you're sold out and fully in, your identity is 100% in Christ as his I want you to consider making this an act of, of a commitment. Commitment. And so would you consider during this song surrendering it here at the altar? There are spaces, there's uh, little baskets that you can kind of stack them up in, play Tetris, whatever you want to do. There's no manipulation here, truly. It's only a prayer that you would come and follow Jesus. And upon surrender, there are crosses next to the baskets that you can receive a new identity or a reminder of your decision or a reminder of your identity to carry with you. It's a cross because of Jesus' command. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, guess what you have to do? Pick up your cross and follow me. Surrender yourself, your treasure, your life, and you'll find life. You'll find it. You'll find it. And I pray desperately that you consider that in this time. Gosh, just praise God for decisions. Surrender. And he's worthy of, he's worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. I want to get back to something really quick, and you can have a seat for this last moment. 
Remember, identity defines action. Who we are dictates what we do. As close connection to Jesus, that defines us as the church. So we so often experience something like this, take the reminder and then jet. And the day continues and the weeks continue and we do it all over again in six months. But that's not, when Jesus said, come and follow me, you know what they did? They stayed near. So I wanna, I wanna give you a few things, a few practical things if you're into the practical pieces. But I wanna invite you into three I am statements that Jesus made. And in John, there are several I am statements, but he said, this is, this is my identity, this is who I am, and it has implications on who you are. First, in John 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And the sheep know him because they know his voice. Do you know Jesus' voice? Do you, want, do you know when he speaks on a Sunday morning, a Wednesday night, throughout the week? Do you know when he speaks in prayer? Something to practice in this is a nearness. Be near Jesus. You can't follow at a distance. You have to be near to know his voice. So be with Jesus. Be quiet. Slow down. Read scripture. Read his words. Pray in the way that he taught. Be with and be with other sheep who know how to tell you how to find his voice. Sunday mornings, small groups, camp fun, students. Know his voice, church, and we will be the church. Secondly, in John 14, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father. Pastor John Mark Homer says it this way, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. The early church was called followers of the way. So engage in community, pray together, unhurry together, rest together. Do church together. See each other. Be community. Be connected to each other. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out what? Two by two. He was not into an individual lifestyle. Finally, John 15, he calls himself the vine. 
He's the vine, we're the branches. That if we stay connected to him, we'll grow. We stay connected to him, we will grow. Which means as his church and as his disciples, you'll eventually identity defines action, defines fruit. You'll become the type of disciple that makes other disciples. You bear fruit. You love people well. You you fight against the anger of the world. Like Emily said last week, you carry compassion in your pocket, right? You bear fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing, as he says in that verse. But with him, we could do what he called us to do, to obey, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. It's all together there, church. So doing what Jesus said, becoming his disciples, it's important for those of us with his name stamped on us as the church. This is a little bit of a side note, but I'm working it in because we have a baptism, September 10th. Jesus was baptized, and so we do the same. As Pastor Will says, it is the first step of obedience, not the last. You want to carry Jesus' identity? Identify yourself in his death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. You can find that online. You can go to acfellowship.org slash baptism. So take on his identity, church. Know his voice, live the life, bear fruit, make disciples, grow in this thing called church, participate. Not just Sunday morning. You could sit here and listen to me all day, but information does not lead to transformation. You gotta walk it out. Take on his lifestyle. Jesus said, I came that you, have may li- you may have life and have it abundantly. Amen, church? Amen. So thank you for engaging in the process this morning. Thank you for being here online, in person. We thank you so much. So grateful for the church family. Prayer partners will be here for you if you're processing through anything that we talked about. So go and live your identity as followers of Jesus. Amen.